The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we're so very grateful for the promise, the contrasts in the scripture. And Father, we're so grateful to be children of the light, to walk in the light of our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the promise of fruitful lives. We know that will be demonstrated in different ways in all of our lives. But we're so thankful, Father, to be able to drink the living water and to prosper and endure whatever we, you have for us. Father, we want to be like the, the tree that is planted by the rivers of water. And so help us, Father, help us to meditate on the right things. Help us to respond properly uh, the way you would want us to. And we ask your blessing, Father. Thank you again for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his shed blood. Thank you for his death on Calvary. And Father, thank you that there is eternal life to any and all who will call upon you. And Lord, bless our time now, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And I have you here today. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn again to Psalm 1, please. Psalm 1. If you were not with us last Sunday morning, um, this is part two. We are um, just going to do, I believe, a three-part series. Be the middle called interpreting your life or interpreting life. And we, it all began as I've been thinking over the years, uh, as I've experienced and watched different Christians experience different things. I've watched different churches experience different things and yet have different outcomes. Um, you know, I've, I've always marveled that when I see something similar to what I experience happen in someone else's life, sometimes the outcome is totally different. And I've kind of puzzled by that. Uh, I've, I've, the, specifically, I've heard um, gossip that's going on in other churches, and then I've gotten wind of it in our church. Uh, sometimes when I think, oh no, we're doomed, because that other church had to happen and there was like a five-way split. So we're doomed, you know. And God has kept us from that. Are we special? No more special than that church. What's the difference? And so I've marveled, I've thought about that, and I've realized that a lot of things in life have to do with how we perceive them, how we interpret them, uh, our take on life. Really, this is kind of a an addendum to a message I preached a while back called uh, Your Spin on Life. But I want to go a little further than this because I've learned um, that 
going back to last Sunday, the, the 12 spies. They all saw the same thing. They went the same path for 40 days. They, they went and searched out the promised land. They partook of the same conversations and everything. They were together and then they came back and they gave two totally different reports. As if they all, as if the ten went over here and the two went over here. But they didn't. They all experienced the same thing. And that happens in life so many times. We all, you know, we don't all experience the same thing. But we do experience similar things, right? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. I know some people go through some more severe things. But it's amazing to me how you can get someone's take on the same situation and it's totally different. And it's the way they interpret what's going on. And so we're talking about interpreting our lives. And last week we focused on the fact that uh, the, um, the reflection, what we think about, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Those ten spies versus the two spies, there is no doubt, uh, because in fact the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So those two, those two, Caleb and Joshua, that gave the good report, they obviously were meditating on something totally different than the ten spies that gave the bad report. And that's true with life too, isn't it? You'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear two different takes. So the first point last week was reflection. Uh, this is part of how you will interpret your world. And I want to encourage you, if you're not interpreting things properly, uh, a lot of it has to do with the headgear, right? A lot of it has to do with what you're thinking. Uh, and sometimes we need to th- uh, change the way we think. You know, scientific studies have been done uh, in the brain so that we know ho- a whole lot more and that literally they are able to determine that, you know, we can, it, it's kind of like we get grooves in the way we think. And, you know, we start going down the road. The, the more you meditate on something, a specific thing, the, the more you dwell on something, the harder it is, even physiologically, to change that way of thinking. Not impossible. Just hard. And sometimes necessary, right? So... Today now, we're going to look at point two. First was reflection last week. Now we're going to look at response. Because our response, in fact, when you think about what you think about will then come forth in what we say and how we respond. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 34. He said to to the Pharisees, the scribes, He said, O generation of vipers. Well, he must really think highly of them, huh? O generation of vipers. How can ye, being evil, speak good things? What a question. He said, how can you, how can you, being evil, how can you speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. There's a profound statement on human life. So we go now to Psalm 1, and we see two different kinds of people. The different, their character, their perspective. So let's look at Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not 
in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Okay, so we are blessed. Happy is another idea of that. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man that doesn't stand in the way of sinners and, and, or sit in the seat of the scornful. So what is he saying? Is this a challenge more about who we, whose presence we are in or is it more how we allow others to affect us? I want you to think about this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Is this saying that when you and I, you and I are walking along the road and all of a sudden, there's, you know, maybe we're in, in, in Philadelphia and you're walking down the street and there's all kinds of people around you and you all, all of a sudden you hear people talking nonsense. Is this telling us that we have to do anything it takes to stop walking with them? Because blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Maybe we've got to cross the other street and hope the conversation on that side of the street is better. Is that what he's saying? No, he's talking. It, the focus is on the council. You see, folks, you and I, we're walking down many streets on a given day, and we're going to pass a lot of, we're going to hear a lot of different conversation. The challenge is, when the idea of walking not in the council of the ungodly means you don't begin to walk in lockstep with that philosophy, is the idea. How about the next one? Blesses the man that standeth not in the way of sinners. So you're in a grocery store. Before you pick which line you're going to go, you've got to go up to the people in front of you and say, say, any sinners here? Because if there's any sinners here, I've got to pick another aisle. Is that what he's saying? Of course not. The idea of you know not standing in the way of sinners means, it's not saying again that you and I aren't going to come in contact with rub shoulders with, work with, live next to. And there's some people that take you know, the idea of separation where they do not understand the biblical concept and their, their modus operandi is I need to avoid all interaction with anyone that doesn't stand where I do and believe like I do and have a halo on their head. You know? That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the, the philosophies that are out there from ungodly people that you and I cannot avoid, but we are not to walk in that council. We're not to make it our own. Last one, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So you hop on a bus, you make an announcement. Any scornful people in here? Because if there are, i got to take another bus. No, he's not saying that. Again, the idea is you and I We'll pass a lot of different people and we're going to get wind of a lot of different philosophies out there. But here's the challenge. You and I have to choose which philosophies we're going to listen to, which philosophies we are going to embrace and go in that direction. And that's what's going to determine whether or not we are fruitful 
in our lives. Because as a man soweth, so also shall he reap. Or whether we become barren is the idea. Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall not pro- or shall prosper. So the idea here is, and by the way, there are many different trees along many different rivers with many different circumstances. You know, there are trees planted by waters where, there, you know, the waters rise and they're, you know, they're tested and different ones are by calm streams. But the idea, folks, is whatever you and I go through as we walk with the Lord, if we are drinking that living water, loving God's word and walking in fellowship with him, He's going to bless us in the context. Now that doesn't mean, this is not a, be careful of the health and wealth, the prosperity gospel. Because that's not what he's saying. You know, Job was fruitful and prospered. But his friends didn't think so, did they? Seriously, think about it. They They were thinking, as they looked at Job, they're like, this guy had to be, You know, he must be among those ones that walks with sinners. He has to have done something wrong because look look what's going on in his life. And who ended up being the one that was more fruitful? His friends or him? Him. So the challenge is, what advice, what counsel do you accept? You're at work. You hear everything at work, don't you? I mean, you're just... And everybody and their brother is going to give you their advice on whatever they know about your life, aren't they? You know, and it's not all going to be good. But you know, you hear all this stuff, you get bombarded by it. You have to choose which advice you're going to follow, and whatever you do choose is going to make a huge difference on your perspective of life. Huge. It creates, it really affects the the environment we're surrounded by. Look at, again, the 12 spies. You know, the 10 spies saw themselves, remember, they saw themselves as grasshoppers? And Caleb and Joshua, they weren't part of that. They saw themselves as, just like David did when he was fighting Goliath, servants of the living God. So wherever you are in life, what you've been meditating on, and whose advice you are following and embracing is going to make a big impact on your perspective, on your interpretation of your life. Charlie this morning was talking about the Corinthians. (laughs) Their interpretation of their life, pretty bad, wasn't it? You know, look, think about 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. Paul said to them, ye are, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Do you think the Corinthians were thinking good thoughts? They weren't. But because they were meditating on the wrong thing, thinking on the wrong thing, folks, the contention and the strife was in their hearts and in their minds. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. Paul again, he says, For first of all, when you come together in church, 
By the way, what they did at home and all that, it's not, it doesn't get sanctified when you walk through the church doors. He said, I hear that there will be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Corinthians doomed themselves because of what they thought on and what, they, what advice they followed. And what does the Bible say? You see, our response to the events... And the words, in fact, I think of Proverbs twenty six seventeen. You know, we're talking about walking along, like walking along the road and passing all kinds of people and conversations. Remember Proverbs twenty six and verse seventeen. He that pa- he that walk what was it? Um, he that um, figures. I didn't write it down. I just referenced it because I know this verse so well. And now look at me. He. I just thought of it. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him. There's the picture. You know, we're going on our merry way, going on down a street, busy street in Philadelphia, and we pass by strife. You overhear a conversation about another situation. How many times has that happened to you in life? And maybe it's right in front of your work desk. Maybe it's just somebody approaches you. But folks, you and I, that fits our category all the time where we walk by, minding our own business, and all of a sudden, someone else's problem is smack dab on our doorstep. And you have a choice. Am I going to meddle with this strife that doesn't belong to me? And by the way, what happens? What is the picture? He that passes by and meddles with strife belonging not to him is like one that takes a dog by the ears. You ever done that? No, me neither. You think it has a good result? No. Have you ever meddled with strife that was none of your business? Kind of now we know, don't we? Hopefully you've come to regret it. Hopefully you've not made it a pattern of your life. James 3 and verse 6. By the way, because we can't, you can't necessarily avoid hearing certain things. You know, in fact, notice what's in Proverbs 27, 26, 17. It says, he that passes by. So you're passing by strife that doesn't belong to you. Is that what's condemned? He that passeth by strife belonging not to him is like one that takes a dog by the ears. No, it's not saying that. You and I can't help that. We are going to walk by a lot of strife that doesn't belong to us, and that's not what's condemned. It's the meddling with strife that doesn't belong to us that is condemned. Be aware of that. There's going to be many times where you're going to pass by someone else's quarrel. And you they may even tempt you to enter into their strife. By the way, Proverbs has a great statement about that. In fact, it's challenging the people that have the strife. You've got two people over here. The Bible says, Debate your cause with your neighbor himself and discover not a secret or a gripe or an issue Uh, Discover not a secret to another. So don't get other people that aren't part of your business and problems. Don't get them involved. Why? Lest he that heareth it. 
In other words, you try and get other people in their, in, into your strife, which doesn't belong to them. Here's the proper response. Lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thy infamy turn not away. In other words, there's their business, and there's our business. Make sure you keep that separate. How important that is. Proverbs 22 and verse 10 tells us how important or how detrimental a scorner, and the scorner is someone that loves to stir up trouble. A scorner is someone that is constantly attempting to get people into debates and arguments and, and, and you know they're constantly going around picking fights. And here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 10. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. See, that tells you how powerful one bad influence allowed to fester can do to the whole body. It's amazing, is it not? You know, some people glory in things which should be renounced. Some people glory in things that are not honorable. Even some preachers will glory in toxic things. I shared this one time in a, in a setting. You may have heard it or, or not. But one preacher wrote this. And this guy was a toxic um, striver in my mind. But man, he attracted people like bees to honey. And I could never understand it. I mean, he had a national following and he's, he's passed away. But I marvel at that. And there's a lot of preachers like that. And you know what? If that's the way you get a big church, I'm good with what we've got. Amen? But listen to what he said. He wrote this. He said, God called me to sit at this typewriter. This was dated a little. Today it would be, God called me to sit at this keyboard. God called me to sit at this typewriter and pour forth vinegar, acid, vitriol, and cleaning fluid on the leading conservative and fundamental scholars of 1900 through 1990. God called him to do that. He said, God is in charge. He destines me to sit at this typewriter and lambast, scald, and ridicule these Bible-rejecting fundamentalists who, quote-unquote, believe the Bible is the Word of God. He says, I hereby dedicate myself anew to the task of destructive criticism and negative blasting against every adversary of his particular false doctrine. Now, he's bragging about that. He's acting like that's a feather in his cap. I want you to turn to to James chapter 3. If you are not familiar with James chapter 3, I want you to get very familiar with it because it is so important. James chapter 3. You need to examine me and every other preacher in light of this text. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. Everybody there? Okay. 
James chapter 3 and verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter water? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine figs? And of course, I hope you agree the obvious answer is no. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Paul told Timothy, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. That's a different, that's a totally clear demeanor, is it not? And that's what James is saying. He says, who, verse 13, James 3.13, Who is a wise man and to do with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. Do you see a contrast already? You've got meekness, gentleness, and then you've got glory, bitter envying and strife. Verse 15, where there is this strife and contention, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. What if they're quoting the Bible? What if they're Bible preachers? Does this apply there? What if they're Christians? Folks, it applies everywhere. In fact, remember what Jesus said? He said, you shall beware of wolves which come in very wolfy garments. No. Beware of wolves which come in sheep's clothing. Inwardly they are ravening wolves. We have got to examine the spirit of every preacher, every teacher that presents themselves as a person of God. Look at verse 17. But, on contrast, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now I see two contrasts. And when I read that preacher's words, or preachers like it, or I hear preacher's words like that, where it seems to be like a tough guy Christianity, where they might as well just be pounding their chests and gloating over one another. That is not godly to me. Is it to you? Do any of you look at that and go, oh man, I just love that. I love when, when preachers just cut others to pieces with their words. Because apparently, again, there's a lot of popularity. Even on, on YouTube, you've got different preachers on there. Attract people. Whereas all it takes is James chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, to look at that and say, there is something wrong with that. So let's talk about now our response. Again, our response to, to 
all the things in our lives is a demonstration of how we interpret things. Same scenario, 20 different Christians, and you're going to get 20 different responses. And those responses are going to really reflect where they're at spiritually. Now next week, we're going to look at the third aspect of properly interpreting life. Again, last week, it was having the right headgear, having the right thinking, reflection. This, this today, it is responding properly, which is very important. And then next week will be our relationship with the Lord. How important is that? But let's talk about the thoughts that enter your head. Because we're talking about reflection, what we think about. It is important for you and I to know that just because something pops into your head, first of all, doesn't mean it's right. And I think you know that. I heard a young preacher just two weeks ago, and uh, what a blessing this, this, this statement was. It was a little blurb. And he was talking about, he was talking about the fact that as a Christian, sometimes we'll have things come in our head. And, and I've met and talked to many Christians, especially young Christians, who as soon as it enters their head, they feel like they feel immediately defeated. Oh, I thought this horrible thought. Therefore, I'm a wicked sinner. I give up, <laughs> you know. And I think that's the tendency. You know, a Christian, something pops in their mind and they, th- they feel contaminated because it's come in. And so they're like, well, I might as well go with it. And here's what the preacher said. And I love this. I wrote it down. He said, it's okay to have thoughts in your head that you don't agree with. Think about that. Don't forget. It is okay to have thoughts in your head that you don't agree with. I had a thought. I don't agree with it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's his point. He said, here's biblical teaching. I have flesh and spirit coexisting within me. And flesh lusts against the spirit, Galatians 5.17. There are desires, there are wants that are opposed to the spirit of God in my life. The spirit desires for godly things, for good things. The work of the flesh, all kinds of immoral, horrible things. So what we have to do is just say, I've got the flesh just like everybody else. We have weird, bad desires. I reject it. I move on. I love that. That's the process, folks. Keep that in mind. You will have thoughts that pop in your mind. And the key is to identify them. Oh, I had a thought. Whoa, that's a weird thought. I had a thought. Wow, is that a wrong thought? I had a thought. Whoa, could that lead me down the wrong way? That's okay. You are not sinning when you have that thought pop in your mind. Remember? There's so many examples in Scripture. Who put it in Judas's mind to betray the Lord? The devil did. And there's many examples in Scripture where the devil puts a thought in your mind. What does 2 Corinthians say? We are to 
cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and we are to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Just identify it and reject it. Hey, I, I had a thought. I disagree with that thought. Goodbye thought. I move on. And the more you and I can do that, that's bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of our, our Savior of Christ. The problem is, if you just let that thought fester for a little bit, by the way, every time you allow the wrong thought to stay in there, it stays a little longer each time. And let's say it's a thought of anger or bitterness towards someone. And sometimes, and then you start feeling, you know, I kind of like thinking about this for a little while because I'm really upset with that person. So just give me a few. Just give me a few minutes. I want to have a moment here. I want to enjoy this this thought. I'll get rid of it eventually. And then what doesn't happen? You don't get rid of it. So the challenge: just because you thought the thought doesn't mean you've sinned. But how we respond is critical. Why don't you turn to Proverbs chapter twenty-six? Again, you and I, we cannot necessarily determine what we hear. You're going you're gonna to pass by other people's strife. You're going to pass by all kinds of stuff, even without intending it. How you respond to that is critical. And that's what God holds us responsible for. Look at Proverbs chapter 26. This is a scenario where you and I Pass by, we, we come across someone else's problem, a, a strife between two people that we know. And all of a sudden it comes to our attention. Maybe they approach us and they want our advice on this thing that happened to them. And your tendency is, oh, I want to hear the good stuff. Give me the dirt. You know, they actually sell dirt in mag- you know, magazines when you go through the grocery store. You know, it's called dirt. (laughs) It's not called dirt. Gossip magazines, people love gossip. So, look at Proverbs 26 and verse 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. You say, that is profound. I did not know that. I didn't know if you take wood off the fire, it's going to go out. Of course you knew it. This isn't talking about how to have energy through fire. and It's a a reference to words. Remember what James said? James talks about the tongue as a fire. It's a world of iniquity. It sets on fire the course of nature. Well, here it's saying, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail-bearer, the strife ceaseth, as coals are to burning coals, and wood to fire. So is a contentious man to kindle strife. That's the scorner. The scorner, a contentious person, loves to go around kindling fires. He's going to give you that. He's going to be the one that wants you to take up a reproach with someone else. What do you do? You don't put wood on it. You may not be able to avoid hearing about it, but you certainly do not want to add fire or fuel to that burning fire. 
And, and I again, here's where I've seen so many churches split because of gossip. And I realize that because there's been there's been a lot of matches over the years that have been lit in our church. You know, you've heard them. You know, somebody spat, you know, somebody gets offended with this person and somebody wants to bring you into their problem. And, you know, th- th- you can't avoid that. Why haven't we split? Only by God's grace. But there have been people that have kept their tongues quiet and not put wood on it. And it just goes out. That's what happens. So folks, your, your interpretation of life is it behooves you to dwell on the right thing and respond the right way. In fact, I quoted this earlier in Proverbs 25.9 or 9.25. It says, Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another. And then your response, my response, lest he that heareth it ask for more information so they can pass it along. Did I just quote that right? Of course I didn't. Lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. That's that's counsel there. When you and I hear strife about other people, not only should we not add to the fuel, but we actually need to stop it dead in its tracks. By the way, the best thing to do, folks, if somebody tries to get you to meddle with their strife with someone else, a lot of times, all you need to do is say, well, have you, have you followed Matthew 18 and gone to that person directly? And a lot of times, they'll be like, well, well no, but no. Well, they wouldn't understand anyway. Wait a minute, right there. That's when you put them to shame. And, and it, it, it's so easy. All you got to do is say, I don't want to hear it until you go and talk to that person. Do things God's way. Now, here's a scenario I shared two Wednesdays ago during our Zoom prayer meeting. And it was a blessing to me. It was an article about, uh, in fact, it was called a double portion. There is a, a Alabama a couple from Birmingham, Alabama. He's actually a, a young pastor and his wife, Dwight and Stephanie Castle. Uh, within the past year, they were blessed with the birth of twins, but they were conjoined twins. And the hospitals down in Alabama, I guess, weren't qualified or fit and they had to fly up to our beloved chop you know and and get some medical attention and so they were actually living uh, in the Philadelphia area I don't believe they're there now Uh, this was an article that came out in uh, I believe March of this past year but it was in a Christian magazine they were interviewing this couple and it was a very very difficult situation Um, you can only you can only imagine and when they were interviewed, uh, they, they affirmed this. They said, discontinuing the pregnancy is not an option. In fact, the man said, it's not even a thought that has entered our head. That was a blessing. A- again, that's a tough situation, isn't it? You know, if you're in that situation, and, and I, it's not that they probably had some coworkers or friends that said, oh, you got to terminate that pregnancy. And that wasn't even an issue to them. They knew they were not going to terminate the pregnancy. But the husband, Dwight, says, I admit feeling hopeless. I was trying to believe the goodness of God in this. 
And it's like he was going through a checkpoint. He says, okay, I believe in his power. I believe in his ability to save. I believe in his sovereignty over everything. But how is this good? You really struggle with that. Stephanie, the wife, she struggled even more. She just struggled to believe that God was doing a good thing at all. And so she expressed her doubts to a friend that I'm really doubting the goodness of God. I want to ask you something. If your friend was in that situation, Christian friend, and they were asking your counsel, and they confessed to you in private that they were really struggling in believing that God was good, what would you do? So, you know, you think about it. If we went through, and don't worry, we're not going to pass the microphone around and get everyone's response, but I guarantee you, your response would be based upon how you interpret life in general. And maybe you've already given counsel to some friends in similar, though maybe not the exact same situation. Maybe, maybe you would rebuke that woman. How dare you question God? Here's what her friend said at church, the one she confided in. She confessed her doubts to a fellow church member. And I love this response, which, by the way, is not theologically accurate. Okay, but I'll address it in a minute. She told her friend, she said, It's okay. I know you're having a hard time believing, so I'll believe for you. That's precious. Now, what I mean by theology, you cannot believe for someone else. Okay, understand that. You know, in fact, we're going to talk about ten- that tonight in, in the evening service briefly. Um, you can't believe for your kids for salvation. But, you, you know, and so technically... Her, it's not like, um, you know, you know how the Bible says, uh, without faith it is impossible to believe, uh, for, without faith it is impossible to please Him. So it's not like, okay, you walk in doubt and your friend's going to walk in faith and so God's going to bless it as if that was your faith. That's not the issue, you know, we're not talking about, but what was a blessing to me? In fact, she even said this, Stephanie said this, she said, and that's the way the body of Christ has been to me. When I'm weak, they're strong. And that hit the nail on the head. And that's the way we need to, to be, folks. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So I want to ask you, how are you responding to what's going on around you? With your words? You, you're saying things that... In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 29, I'll close with this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt, by the way, in the Greek has the idea of being rotten or worthless. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that's building up, that it may minister grace unto, our, unto, your, unto the hearers. Is that the way you respond to life? Do you make sure, in fact, Paul said in Colossians 4, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. I love that picture because I like to cook. You know, you season things with salt. Everything's good with salt. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I know some of you, okay, you're saying, my doctor tells me I shouldn't, okay. But here's the thing. Whatever comes out may not be 
it may not be palatable if we just let it come out. So we, we may need to season a little bit. Let your speech be always with grace. Maybe the way you want to say something isn't so gracious, so you need it to come out a little flavored. You want to be a blessing to other people? Then I want to challenge you. Have not the attitude and the perspective of the ten spies, but Joshua and Caleb. Remember what we said in Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So let's let Christ be the theme of our song and our counsel and our perspective. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Father, to, if we've got wrong thought patterns, and maybe we're in a rut in our thinking that's been taking us down the wrong road, Lord, help us to begin to make the changes in our own perspective and what we think on so that we will respond properly. Father, we know that out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouth will speak. So Lord, deal with us at the heart level that we might be a blessing to others. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.